0: People are traveling, and we love that. We encourage that. If you're kind of new to our church, one of our core values is that uh, this will not be a guilt-driven organization. So when it comes to travel, when it comes to family plans, or if it comes to just sleeping in one day, we say live life and bring Jesus with you wherever you are, wherever you go, whatever you're doing. Uh, that's, that's good stuff. But glad to have a crew here t- together this morning. It's a great day to be together. Um, love that it's finally warming up pool parties and fun things like that. It's a good time of year and we're happy to be uh, be in it and uh, to be together this morning. So we have been studying through uh, the book of Acts. Uh, Acts is written by a man named Luke and he had uh, he had studied the story of the beginning of the church. And uh, he wrote this book, Acts, Acts of the Apostles, or maybe it should be better, more, 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 uh, aptly named, promptly named, um, the acts of the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, The Spirit is at work. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's appeared to his followers. The Holy Spirit has come on uh, the 12 at Pentecost, and thousands of Jewish people there in Jerusalem came to believe in a risen Savior, and it started a revolution that has spread through the world, right? And and so for some time, uh, Christianity grew inside of the the Israelite uh, nation, uh, and within kind of their borders. Um, but in, in Acts 15, we read about um, this this council at Jerusalem where they came together and they said, there are Gentile people, non-Jews, wanting to become followers of Jesus. People like literally saying, this man uh, is, is traveling down the road, meets a follower of Jesus and says, hey, there's water, why shouldn't I be baptized? And it's like this revolutionary moment and shift in the church and in the story of the Israelite people and in the story of Christianity where a decision is made, Gentiles, those that aren't Jewish people, will be accepted as they are. And, and quite often it's easy to think of us as followers of Jesus or as a church as the inside people, but the fascinating people is we are those people. We are those outsiders that, 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 that these men in Jerusalem came together and they said, you know what, Micah and Sarah and Danny, and you know, you can come as you are. To know Jesus and to live in relationship with God, so it's a beautiful thing. Then this man named Paul uh, becomes a Christian. He was a he was a Jewish man, a Pharisee, and actually actually trying to shut down and end this uh, Christian movement. But Jesus appears to him on the road. He becomes a follower of Jesus and he's a very zealous man, a very passionate man who's now traveling around um, outside of Israel uh, sharing about Jesus in the cities. And uh, today we're going to read this fascinating little story in Acts chapter 19. If you've never sat down and read through the book of Acts by yourself, you've likely never heard this story because uh, it's not one that you just pick to preach on, but it's where we're at in the book of Acts. It's a fascinating one and, uh, and I'm excited to engage it this morning. Let me tell you a little bit of a story as we as we move towards acts 19. Um, I was 17 years old and I had just graduated high school. Uh, my parents had bought me a plane ticket to Botswana Africa where my uncle Wyman and Aunt Linda, who's here with us today, um, uh, were missionaries. They had been for well over a decade at that point and they spent 20 some years there uh, in, in total. And I, I, I had this opportunity. Seventeen years old, I get on a uh, on a plane in Kenawik, or in Pasco, Washington. Some thirty three hours later, I land in Botswana, and we drive the next morning um, a, a few hours to Shikaway. Yeah, Shikawai. Uh There in Botswana, over the Okavango Delta, um, where uh, where they had a home where they were planting churches, and um, and. It was a remarkable season in life. A season of life in which God was acting powerfully in my life. The Holy Spirit was was working powerfully that I could know more of God. And a season in which I was quite invested in that process. Often those two go hand in in hand, don't they? Uh, The seasons in which we are open to and in pursuit of are those seasons that God is just overwhelming us with the things that he's doing in our lives. And I remember one morning there in Botswana, um, i had I had hiked out early in the morning uh, before the sun was up, and I was sitting on this bluff overlooking the Okavango Delta, and there was hippopotamus swimming and and, and playing down uh, in in the water below and I remember watching as the sun just started to glow you know as the sun just began to come up and I had this moment where um, where I knew god 's love I knew the warmth of god where where uh, where I had this m- quiet time of reflection and journaling and prayer in which I just sensed God moving powerfully and working powerfully. It was one of those seasons and moments in life where you get to ask questions of God, "What do you have for me? God God, what is next? What, is it, what does it mean to follow you?" those major questions? And I wonder if there's ever been a moment in your life likely there has, maybe a number of them a moment in life in which you got to reflect on, who will I follow? What will I do? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in my life? Well, today in Acts chapter 19, uh, the question is on the table. and We're going to see motives uh, quite selfish. Uh, we're going to see uh, those interested in following Jesus. We're going to see a fascinating little story play out in the town of Ephesus. So let's read in Acts chapter 19, verse 23 is where we'll begin. At that time, no little disturbance broke out, among, uh, broke out concerning the way, and the way refers to the Christians, that's what they were calling them. Um, a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the artisans. These he gathered together with the workers of the same trade and said, men, you know that we get our wealth from this business. You also see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost the whole of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and drawn away a considerable number of people by saying that gods made of human hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into dis, uh, um, disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be scorned and she will be depraved of her majesty and uh, that, that brought all Asia and the world to worship her. Okay? Um, when they heard this, they were enraged and they shouted, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city was filled with the confusion and, and people rushed together to the theater, dragging them and Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's traveling companions. Paul wished to go to the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some officials from the providence of Asia who were friendly to him sent him a message urging him not to venture into the theater. Meanwhile, some were shouting one thing, uh, some another, for the assembly was in confusion. And most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd gave instructions to Alexander, whom the Jews had pushed forward. And Alexander motioned for silence, and he tried to make a defense before the people. But when they realized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, all of them shouted in unison, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. But when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, citizens of Ephesus, um, who is there that does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple of uh, keeper of the great Artemis and of the statue that fell from heaven. Since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. You have brought these men here who are neither temple robbers nor blasphemers of our goddess. If, therefore, Demetrius and the artisans with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges there against one another. If there's anything further you want to know, it must be settled in the regular assembly, for we are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. When he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. All right fascinating little story. All sorts of twists and turns and interesting things happen. When, when you think of these stories um, that we read uh, about Bible times from 2,000 years ago, um, am I alone in sometimes picturing kind of a far-off land or another world, right? It, it almost seems... Otherworldly, quite different Uh, Sometimes we picture it in terms of Like the childhood illustrations that we grew up seeing Or the skits or things like that But you know what's fascinating to me Is to look at the very real world experiences of Paul and the people And to consider the context and the things in which Paul is experiencing these moments So Ephesus was an extremely prominent uh, city in the time um, Ephesus was the third largest metropolitan area in, in the Roman world, and it was one of the most wealthy. Ephesus uh, was a place of learning and philosophy, and they prided themselves in um, in uh, their, their uh, just open learning forums uh, as, as a place where philosophy was being pushed out to the world. Um, and so Paul has been traveling on his missionary journeys. He's now been in Ephesus for quite some time. Originally, he was teaching in the synagogues amongst the Jewish people, but in time, they uh, rejected him and the message of Jesus. And so Paul has moved now from uh, the from the synagogue to the lecture hall of tyrannus is is where he's uh teaching at this point point. and it's an open uh place where people would come to hear lectures about new philosophy new concepts new ideas and paul was then another one of these men who was teaching this new way this way about uh, that that revolves around a man named jesus who's risen from the dead and inviting people to know this new hope and so paul is speaking in these open forums we catch a glimpse from uh, this reading today, and if you'd read earlier in nineteen and eighteen, that uh, that many people are hearing and becoming fascinated by this new teaching. Um, now, Ephesus is also the home of uh, the Temple of Artemis, and this is a recreation of what it looks uh, what it looked like in its day. Now, this was uh, the largest and, and one of the most ornate uh, temples in all of the Greek and, and Roman world. And so people would travel from all over the world to come and to worship at the temple of Artemis. Artemis was the god of hunting and wilderness and wild animals. Uh, She was also attributed with uh, healthy childbirth and fertility and some of these sorts of things. Uh, Very, very broad scope rather than many of the gods that were quite specific. Um, People would worship Artemis for for many reasons. You heard at the end the clerk saying, and, and remember the statue that fell from heaven that we have received and is at the center of our temple I didn't pull up a picture but in some in the 70s there was some excavation happening and they found uh, a five foot tall statue of Artemis in this area so one of the uh, ancient wonders uh, the seven wonders of the ancient world uh, and today there exists that one pillar Right there in the middle of a field, but it's still one of those seven ancient wonders of the world. So before it was a replica of what was, this is what remains there today, a single pillar, okay? Um, so he's in this town, Ephesus, they are very proud of their God, and they are very proud to be the hub of uh, the worship of this God, Artemis. Um, in Roman culture, uh, they, they renamed Artemis Diana. So if you're ever looking at, at, at the Roman gods or anything like that, Diana is the equivalent. Um, so Paul has come to this community very proud of their god, uh, Artemis, and uh, he's begun speaking about this new way, the way to follow Jesus, the way to live uh, with God, the way to know God in a personal way. And many people have begun to believe it. And, and on the stage enters uh, a man named Demetrius. And he's one of the artisans that crafts these um, golden sculptures. And he's upset because their business is going to be reduced as people come to believe in Jesus and follow the way. And uh, you, you see, people would come to the temple from all over the world. And these artisans would be bidding for who could make the statue or sell, you know, their carving of Artemis to the people, and he, a silversmith, was on the highest tier. The wealthiest of the wealthy would purchase from him, when many others would get some sort of stone or clay or something of that nature. Um, so, so he's upset about the loss in profits, and uh, and and in our text, as the story unfolds, uh, he chooses to pin his greed or his desire for healthy business, more money, or for self-preservation. He chooses to pin it um, behind religion and his patriotism. Right? He rallies people together and he says, yes, this can hurt us financially, but ultimately what's most important is they are defaming our great god Artemis. Right? And this is the national pride. This is the regional pride. This is what they rally behind and are excited about. And isn't it true that patriotism and religion often touch a nerve? Right, we certainly live in a season and a time in America in which we know the kind of nerves that can be touched uh, over uh, over patriotic or or national issues. Right, and uh, and and in this they are enraged. In this, a, a riot begins. The crowds begin to amass and they move towards the theater. And I don't. Did I pull in a picture of the theater? I may or may not have. Um, In its height, the Ephesian theater held 25,000 people. Who knows how many were there on this day As the crowds begin to mass towards the theater Where business would be done Where, uh, where um, productions would be put on Entertainment and all of that And they, they rush towards this theater saying, there is, uh, th- saying there's an uprising Which of course there wasn't There was people beginning to follow Jesus The uprising in fact was this movement In opposition to Christianity And they grab two of Paul's traveling companions and they rushed them in. And it said that Paul, uh, Paul wanted to go in to answer. their their complaints, uh, their concerns, what was happening in this riot. Um, But both uh, the local people, the Ephesians, and his disciples said, you can't go in. It's interesting. Um, Paul has been uh, flogged countless times. He's been beaten and left for dead outside many cities. Paul was a fearless man when it came to engaging these sorts of situations. But for whatever reason on this day, uh, he was to remain out of the picture, uh, as the story unfolded, uh, you you heard as the story unfolded. Finally, a clerk gets up and he speaks to reason, uh, which is uh, maybe the only thing uh, that was completely absent from the uh, the situation prior to him stepping up. He says, "This Artemis is great. Everyone in the world knows how powerful Artemis is. We have nothing to be afraid of from these people. Go home." Settle down before we get in trouble with Rome, right? That's his argument. And I think it's a fascinating one uh, because 2,000 years later, we see a picture of a single pillar and we see a Christian faith that is spread through the entire world, right? It, it, it's, a, it's a fascinating argument. He brings logic into the moment. And in time, wisdom is proven in a whole nother way and a whole nother place. And so, as, as we look at this story today, we ask ourselves, so, you know, as we, as we zoom out, where does this fit in our lives? Where does it apply? And I think that there's a couple things worth our consideration this morning. There's this man um, named Demetrius uh, whose, whose self-preservation and selfishness motivates him to fight against the work of God in his community. And as I reflected on that this week, I realized the, the many times in life, large and small, in which my own motivation, my own desires stand in the way of the work of God in my life and in the lives around people. Um, you know, at, at best, we can say Demetrius is worried about preservation, keeping his job that's a pretty strong motivation to, to live and act in certain ways in life. At worst, though, he's quite manipulative in the way he fights against the work of God. I can relate, though, to Demetrius as a man um, who at times realized my own motivations to stand in the way of God. But, but in addition to that, uh, we, look at the, we look at the big story and the big picture, this idea of national pride um, and, and God's standing in the way of the message being heard. Remember, Paul has been teaching in open forums. He's not been doing anything in secret or hidden. And people are, are, are fascinated by the miracles they're seeing performed and the message of Jesus. And people are coming to know. Um, but, but when national pride and, uh, and when the gods of our people come into play, All of a sudden, the tone of the situation changes drastically. We have a riot on our hands. And I wonder today in America how does national pride and or the gods or the idols that we serve stand in the way of, of what's happening um, uh, in, our, in our lives as Christians, in our churches, and, and in the opportunities that the gospel has to perform and, and do powerful things in our community? And I was thinking, what are, what are the American gods or the American idols that stand in the way of, of the gospel? And some of these might sting, so you can throw something if you need to, or maybe preferably we'd just go have coffee and talk more about it, right? Some of these can sting a little bit, but um, I was thinking about individuality and like our freedoms. Freedom is a core value as, uh, as Americans, right? Uh, inter- interestingly enough, some of us, as we came to be followers of Jesus, have said, I will give up my will, I will give up my desires, and God, I'll take on yours, And so this idea that I get to do what I want to do, I get to live, I can be anything I want, well, very true and very noble. Some of us have chosen, we've said, but I choose to be more like Jesus, and that will be my guide and my mold. We've chosen in that freedom to say, I want to follow Jesus. You know, in American culture, Success and money and climbing the corporate ladder is quite often a God that we serve in, in very distinct ways, right? Uh, we, we come to this place in life where we give ourselves fully to advancing in business or advancing uh, in, in, uh, in, our, in our assets, in our money, in, in what we're doing in life. And instead of God being that center thing in our lives, we find ourselves serving an entirely different motivation, uh, an entirely different uh, thing in life. You know, um, when I think of things that occupy us and take the place of God in our lives, Sometimes we talk about uh, youth sports, right, or our sports as adults, the sports that we play that can become so overwhelming in life. I was thinking about that this week, and it's kind of become a cliche thing to talk about, right? It's just taking up so much of our time. But I was thinking about the alternative culturally to those youth sports, Uh, and it's probably— Video games or an iPad and sitting in isolation in our rooms. I think that's becoming a much more dominant challenge in the lives of our young people than the sports that we often uh, give a bad name. Uh, Because at least in those, uh, there is uh, relationship building and teamwork and some of those sorts of things. At any rate, there are many things in our life, right? This is where it's starting to sting and we start to get uncomfortable, right? I get it. That's okay. Uh, It is uncomfortable. Uh, Just like it was extremely uncomfortable, the message that Paul was bringing to uh, the the people of Ephesus. It's uncomfortable stuff. So I'll pause there. We can each think of those things in life that, that tend to overwhelm, that tend to gain far too much priority and far too much of our focus in life. And then we can ask this question: What, what do we do when, um, what do we do when the gospel stands uh, in opposition to our ways as Americans? or when the gospel stands in opposition to the way I desire to live my life? What do we do with those moments? What do we do with those things? I think the biggest challenge we face is the overwhelming noise in our lives. If you think back to that story in Ephesus, it was this riot, it was this crowd, it was this chanting and people rushing through the streets and so people got sucked in and they end up in this theater just shouting, "Great great as Artemis, right? And they're just chanting it and they don't know why they're there and they don't know what they're doing and how often is that the story of our Christian walks, right, so caught up in so much noise and all the things and the clutter of the conversations and the media and and, and the developments in society around us and the work that we do, that we we never even get that quiet moment sitting, it doesn't have to be in Africa, it doesn't have to be overlooking the Okavango Delta, but that quiet moment in which we say, whom will I serve? Like, what is taking priority in my life? And whom will I choose to serve? So there's this beautiful passage in Joshua. Joshua 24, and he's speaking uh, to the Israelite people. And, uh, And Israel is in this pivotal moment in their history in which they have been led out of Egypt, they've been given a new land, incredible things are happening, but they are torn between the gods of of Egypt, the gods in the new land in which they live, or the God who who, who led them out of Egypt. And Joshua says far more succinctly than I ever could, uh, what is at hand? The opportunity that we each have. He says, Now therefore revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord now, if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors uh, your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord, not a beautiful passage you might have that on a plaque in your wall or something like that. It's a beautiful and well-known passage. But it's this moment where, you know, we always jump to the conclusion right there at the end. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord, and it's a great conclusion. But, but when you back up there and look at it, it, it demands a first step, and that is the contemplation. Who will I serve? You see, the question isn't, will I serve someone or something? We are all giving ourselves to someone or Something. But, but what, what he does, what Joshua does for us, is begs this question. Will we take time to think through who we will choose to serve? And in the end, he comes to the conclusion, I have contemplated and I have decided I will serve the Lord. I want to invite us to this, if nothing else this morning. I want to challenge us to um, some quiet reflection in the week to come. Whom will I serve? And the choice is ours. It won't be forced on us by this church. It won't be forced on us by God. It won't be forced on us by anything. The the choice is, quite frankly, ours. There's that freedom in American. We can be proud at this moment of that freedom, right? We have that freedom to choose absolutely. And the question is, who will we serve? So I'll lay it out in these two ways as we close. For those of us that are followers of Jesus, there, there might be a little bit of sting in this right? There might be a little bit of a challenge in this, and I, and I think that needs to be okay. Um, in, in our Christian faith, there will always be a tendency to be drawn in many directions, and it, it ought to be okay to, to hear, it's time to reconsider. It's time to reflect again on, on how I'll live, on whom I'll serve, on how I will live intentionally rather than be caught up in the noise, and the voice of, uh, of so much around me and the busyness of life. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus today, um, then uh, I'd encourage you this. If you're not at this point where you're ready to say, so, you know, me and my household, we will serve the Lord, I'd like to encourage this because I see this play out in the text as well. Um, listen to the voices dominant in life and ask yourself where they're leading. Right, Because anyone there on the street, not a follower of Jesus, the people in Ephesus, they get caught up in this frenzy and they're chanting and hardly even know why they're there. But if they were to stop and reflect on who are the voices dominant in my life, what is happening around me, well, they would realize some of just the craziness of the situation, that it doesn't have a source or a reason to be happening. It's not leading towards some better conclusion or a better way of life. And so for all of us, for any of us today, followers of Jesus or not, I think we we have this to reflect on. Who are the dominant voices in my life? And what is it leading towards? I think it's a powerful question to be asking. Friends, let's pray about that. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for an opportunity to look into your word, uh, to hear the story from 2,000 years ago in, uh, in Ephesus. Father, uh, we thank you um, for an opportunity to reflect not just on a time 2,000 years ago, but how it speaks into our lives today. So Father, I pray that you will give us quiet moments of reflection in the weeks to come, Father, that we can ask questions of of what we are giving ourselves to and what it looks like to follow you. Father, I pray that you will draw us in to recognize your love and the beauty and opportunity found in serving you above the other things around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.